0: find something that you resonate with and go in it 100%. And if you're wrong, you're going to know in two weeks. And if you love it, you're going to be like, I was born for this. So my recommendation is to pick, let's get some information. Don't spend too long doing that. Pick a lane, run into it. And if you're
1: wrong, you're going to find out quick. You're listening to the Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Life and Money Show. I'm Annie Dickerson here with the fabulous Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I am doing wonderful. I am in
2: my happy place, I guess you can say, because the weather here is like, I don't know, 85, 90 degrees, something super uh, hot. And like you've that, got so.
1: alpacas. And You're got staying alpacas. at a place with alpacas, which is so yeah. cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're staying on a farm, literally a farm with like a red barn, the whole thing. It's like so picturesque here. But yeah, there's three alpacas right outside and we hang out with the alpacas. Interestingly, they're not very engaging. I don't know if anyone out there has ever hung out with alpacas, but they're very curious. So you go out mm-hmm. and they'll follow you and they'll watch you and they'll look at you. But they won't come close unless you have a treat or maybe it takes time to get to know them kind of a thing. But yeah. So they kind of just they're great. So they're not like day.
1: a not like a lap alpaca.
2: No, <laughs> unfortunately not. Because they're like the cutest things ever. Yeah. You Google alpaca. They're so cute. And it, you just want to snuggle them, but they're not yeah.
1: they're not they're snuggers. They're like, yeah, they, nope, I'm okay. No. Don't yep. need you.
2: I know I'm yep. cute, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so wild because they have these long necks and it's like when you pet them and it's just like this long neck and it's so, so cool. But yeah, we're staying in a Not tiny who home. I am too.
1: I mean, honestly, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm cool, but you just stay over there. I'm going to be over here by myself. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you were an alpaca in your past life. There we go. Maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. But you're in a tiny home with three kids, and, and but you're making it work. And it's, Yeah, yeah,
2: it's so fun. It's like when you're a kid and you're like you play like clubhouse or whatever. And you're like, you're out in the garage and you're like building forts and stuff. And you're trying to make a kitchen out of like nothing. That's pretty much how it is. So (laughs) but yeah, it's fun. Definitely wouldn't be able to do it long term, but it's fun for a little bit. So
1: yeah. Uh, how fun to give your kids all these different experiences and push them out of their comfort zones, which is something we talk about on our episode today with Todd Toback. Todd is a real estate investor. He's also a coach. He's got his own podcast and he's a wholesaler. He also coaches people on wholesaling through his Next Level Wholesaling program, as well as his No Limits Sales System. And in this show, man, we talked about a lot of things, including how he got started in real estate, how he figured out that wholesaling was really the right thing for him, how he eventually quit his job and grew a team and then scaled that team and all the ups and downs. For any listeners who are business owners, you know, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs that come with hiring and scaling. And we really, really dig into a lot of that on this show.
2: Yeah, it was so fun getting to pick his brain about growing and scaling a team. Because as we've grown and scaled ourselves over the last couple of years, it has not been without its challenges and navigating this world of of entrepreneurship has been one that's been fun, but can be stressful at times. And obviously, there are many people who started out as a one man show and have gone grown beyond that. And so it was so fun to kind of chat with him about how do you go from being a one man show to scaling a growing a company where he said he works fifteen hours a week between two or three of his other companies and letting go. And what I learned from our conversation is that a lot of it is starts with the mindset and once you can let go of all these limiting beliefs, then you can get to where you want to go. So he had a ton of book recommendations, which we will list in the show notes, but I'm excited to add those books to my library, my long ongoing library list of reads that I want to dig into. But yeah, it it was just fascinating to hear about how he went from just doing it himself and being overworked and his wife saying, Hey, I'm done with you now spending all this time with his kids and really living this life by design.
1: Indeed. And so for all of our listeners, there's a point in the show where Todd talks about how he dabbled for a while and he sort of tried a whole bunch of different types of investing. And then he found his lane, which for him was wholesaling. And we talked to him about why, why was that the right fit for him? But for all of our listeners, we talk in the show about the importance of that due diligence phase or that research phase of trying on these different avenues of investing to really find your lane. So, for those of you who are exploring the opportunities and the potential out there, and you're curious about the world of real estate syndications and passive investing, a great place to get started is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good, and we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. Just go to goodegginvestments.com/book. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into our conversation with Todd Toback. Todd, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm happy to be here and excited to rock and roll today. All right. Well, Todd, man, I know you have quite an extensive background in real estate. You've flipped over a thousand single-family homes. I can't even imagine. Single-family homes, duplexes, triplexes, and more, which that in and of itself... Is a huge feat and quite an accomplishment. But you didn't stop there because, on top of that, you're also the creator of the No Limits sales system, as well as the next level wholesaling program, which teaches solopreneurs how to break free of the bondage of the one man show. I love that. So, Todd. First, before we dive into all that, start by taking us back. I know you don't just flip a thousand properties overnight. So take us back to your early days. How did you get into real estate in the first place?
0: So I started out in 2002. I actually was working for a small company you may have heard of called Pfizer. And we're selling a pill that you may have heard of when it first came out called Viagra. Oh, fun times. And it was fun times. <laughs> I mean, you know, the competition was stiff and sales were always up, right? as <laughs> I used to <laughs> always say. <laughs> but I had a great mentor there. He was my first mentor out of college. His name was Derek, and he took me underneath his wing. And he taught me pretty much everything that I know today about sales. And I wish I realized how awesome he was back then. When you're young, you don't see everything that's in front of you. But um, Derek was my mentor. And I was enjoying every uh, the corporate world. I had a company car, I had a big salary for myself at that point in my life. And I was enjoying things. I was living in Santa Barbara, California at the time. So if you know anything, it's like paradise on earth, but it's really, 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 really expensive. So what happened was they had this referral program at my job where if you refer to a friend and they got hired, they would give you 2,500 bucks, which happened except my friend who I brought on, they brought, I was there for like a year and a half and I was just crushing it. And Derek was kind of coaching me up, but they brought him in at like a fifteen dollars or $20,000 higher salary than me. And so I met with my boss and I was 22 and immature and cocky. And I'm like, hey, like, what the heck? <laughs> and I probably would have approached it differently as I would now. But he's well, when like, you're
1: 22 living in Santa Barbara with a company car and all that, I mean, what else are you going to do?
0: Yeah, what else are you going to do? Right. So I go to my boss and I explain the situation. And I'm like, I need like a $50,000 raise. <laughs> and that's probably like, what
1: your boss did, just laughed right in your face. <laughs> basically,
0: right. So he put his arm around me and he said, Todd, you know, I'm going to protect you. Like, I love you. And I mean, he said, I love you, but he's like, this is just completely ridiculous. It's so immature. I'm not even going to submit this. You don't understand how the corporate world works. So do me a favor and let me know if I can give you what you need. That was a really, really good question, right? You seem antsy all of a sudden. So I got in my car and I was driving on the one-on-one freeway in California. If you know anything about it, it goes right along the water. And I was passed along a Barnes and Nobles bookstore. And I'm telling you, like something stirred inside me, right? I was just frustrated and I said, I need to make a switch. And so something said, pull over at the bookstore. I went over three lanes of traffic. I remember to this day, it's like vividly, the guy was holding a big jack in the box like soda. A cup
1: Uh and uh he gave me the
0: finger because I cut him off. And (laughs) that was uh, the
1: universe right there. Just
0: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But it's funny that I still remember his face to this day because it was the defining moment. Right. And so Mm. I got into the bookstore. I picked up the book, Multiple Streams of Income by Robert Allen at the time. Mm. And I read the whole thing in two days. And basically, it said, like, real estate is the key. Right, you, it all starts with a motivated seller, a great deal, and so what you have to do is you have to send out letters. People who live out of the area, where you live, where you want to buy real estate, and hopefully one of them is motivated. And so I sent out 26 letters. I handwrote them all. I got one call, found a motivated seller, locked up a condo, bought it for 279, and I didn't know that you could flip contracts at the time. So I actually had a Raise the money. So I asked my dad, he said no. Asked my sister, he said no. Asked some friends, they said no. And then finally my brother-in-law who was married to my sister said no, said I want in on the deal. So he came in on the deal. We bought it. We sold it 45 days later for 389 I think. And Not we made $80,000 for... <laughs> and it was 40 <laughs> wow. grand
1: each. And then what'd you do? Did you go and quit your job and tell your, your boss, like, haha, I found the well, way. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, I had a
0: great relationship with Derek, but here was the interesting thing. There's a whole lesson in this is I had this corporate salary and I thought I was hungry and I had this fat check and I started buying some rental properties at the time. And I was telling myself stories and I just didn't like have the need to quit right away. So that was that moment that got me started, but I actually didn't quit for another 18 months to two years because I didn't have a big enough why. So, when my third child was about to be born, that was my why. And I left corporate America and I quit my job. I said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it happen. I put away 50K in the bank or so and just said, let's go for it.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious when you, because that's quite a story going across three lanes of traffic, somebody giving you the finger, but you're like, you know what, there's something I need to get in there. Like something was calling you there. Right. And then, okay. So here's my question is a lot of people, when they get to that point where they're frustrated in their job, they're like, okay, I just need to switch jobs and you get another job or I need to get a better job or I need to go back to school. Right. What was it that did you stumble across that book on multiple streams of income, or did you? I mean, did you know exactly like that's what I need?
0: Well, there's a phenomenon, and I've seen this a lot because I've hired a lot of salespeople inside my organization, and we all have it. And I call it the income thermostat, right? And so we all have an income that we're comfortable with, whether we admit it or not, right? So everyone right now is comfortable with the income that they're making, right? Otherwise, you'd be changing to do something else, (laughs) right? So you may kind of want to make more, but as soon as all of a sudden it goes, a switch goes on, right? So if you're used to making $250,000 a year and all of a sudden it goes down to 50, something's going to change, right? And so there's got to be a shift. And so for me at that moment, Derek's saying, Am I going to give you what you need? And then me looking at the cost of housing in Santa Barbara, and I'm thinking, this isn't going to add all up. I'm not going to be able to buy a million dollar house on a $90,000 year salary with a company car, right? It's not going to happen. So for me, that was my moment. The thermostat went on, right? Said, this is too low. And I said, I need a new vehicle. And that's what happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's so, such a
1: good way. I've never heard that before an income thermostat, but I mm-hmm. really like that because I think a lot of people they sort of can't put their finger on it. They're like, something's not quite right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. When something drops below your threshold, then you're going to have that why you're going to have that driving factor that's going to drive you to make a change.
0: Yeah. It's so kind I'm of funny, like using the scenario. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'm curious. Do you still live in Santa Barbara?
0: No, I took a downgrade and I live in San Diego. But you
2: don't know. <laughs> God forbid. <men. laughs> That's funny. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah.
0: It's funny. We you get a beach house in Santa Barbara every year. I mean, it's just a phenomenal place. It's pretty magical. But it's funny because, like, I don't know. I'm not sure if either of you have kids. Either of you have kids?
1: We both yes. do. I've got two, and Julie's got three. So, three is like the
2: magic number when stuff starts to change. Like you said, you're like, when I had child three, it was like, that's it. I've got to make a change. And it was the same for me, too. When number three came around, it was like, done, decision made, can't live like this. Got to change. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's a little more of a validation, you know. But going back to that is like, I wouldn't necessarily go into a burning building, right, on a day to day basis. But I'm sure if, anything serious is going to happen to your kids. Like it doesn't matter. Right. And my wife is completely introverted. Right. And like, if I raise my voice at like a concert or a sports game, you could tell like she turns red. Well, we recently lost our eight-year-old at the Safari Wild Animal Park and she was gone. And all of a sudden my wife was like screaming at the top of her lungs, like Jude, Jude. And she was like asking everybody and like, she did not care. And I'm like, there's a perfect example. Like, if you have a big enough why, like you do not care about the obstacles. You don't care about your personality. You don't care about your preferences. You're not trying to find your passion or your purpose or the meaning in life. You just make it happen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. That's mama bear coming out in her right there. Mama bear. I
0: know that. Yeah. Yep, I know that
2: real well. <laughs> so I assume you found your, your child.
0: <laughs> we found Jude. Yes. Yes. Jude is, he was there. And so that was his independence moment. <laughs>
1: yeah. There you go. Well, okay. So take us back. Okay. You did that, that first deal. It sounds like everything went pretty smoothly. You sent out 26 letters. You got one call back and you got this great deal. You and your brother-in-law went into it together and made 80K in a matter of days or a short month or so. And so then what did you do then? Here you are in your twenties still, you've got this well-paying job, and you've got this this side hustle that you're starting to explore. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you didn't quit your job for another 18 months. So did you do more real estate deals during that time?
0: Yeah, I was dabbling and this was a mistake, right? I wasn't focusing on one thing. So I was buying out-of-state rental properties like in Oklahoma. And I was during the heyday, I was locking up properties under contract in Florida during the run-up. And then while they were building these other phases, I was flipping some of those contracts. So I was kind of scattered. And it wasn't until I said, hey, I'm going to really, really focus on one niche that I really saw this predictable income. Right, I got really, really good at it. So finally, I I focused specifically on wholesaling at the time because I thought it was the most scalable and I could train other people to do it and repeat it and the less moving parts. And so that's when I said, okay, I'm doing this. My income started to rise. It got really consistent. And then I quit my job. And it's interesting because that's when I was the one man show and I was doing everything At that point, right? I've got three kids. And now my wife was pregnant with my. I'm sorry, we were thinking about having our fourth, right? And now we've got like three kids under I don't know, they were all really young. We had pretty pretty much two in diapers and the other one just out. I mean, it was just crazy. And so there was this point where I was looking around and I was like, I don't want to go to work today because I'd quit my job and I'd quit my job, excuse me. But meanwhile, I was working for myself. I was supposed to live in the dream. And so I made the commitment right then and there The kind of the thermostat went on. And I said, I got to change what I'm doing. I got to build a team. I've got to take this journey along with somebody else. And I made the commitment to make my first hire. And his name was Brian. He was a referral from a friend of a friend that I met at a local RIA. And I brought Brian on and long story short, Brian could not get two words out of his mouth, right? Had no idea how to train or the systems or the right way to do it. And I'm thinking like, was this a mistake? (laughs) So I had a mentor pull me aside and he's like, Todd, you know, obviously you've got a system in your brain, how you lock up properties. And I'm like, I I guess so. He's like, you've got to extract what's out of your brain and get it into a repeatable system and teach Brian. So after six weeks of me thinking it's not going to work out with Brian, I finally start kind of extracting what I'm doing and organizing my thoughts and training them and role playing with them. And three weeks later, we lock up our first deal together. It was like forty something thousand dollars in El-, El Cajon, California. It was on Prescott Avenue. And three weeks later, we lock up another deal and then another deal and then another deal and then another deal. And, another deal. and we made millions of dollars over a period of years together.
1: So, okay. So I definitely want to hear more about the system and how you went about that and created that because it sounds like that was the moment. That was the pivot that made all the difference, right? But for those listeners who may not be as familiar with wholesaling, when you say you're the one-man show and you had all this stuff to do, walk them through maybe just high level, some of the things that go into wholesaling.
0: Sure. Well, wholesaling is just the art of finding a discounted property, right? Meeting with a motivated seller, it's usually direct, although you can get something from an agent and they've got a problem or a situation because they're in the situation, they want to trade some of their equity for speed and convenience. And maybe they don't want to trade their equity, but they know that they're going to have to trade some equity for some speed and convenience. And so we communicate that in a way, and we lock that house up under contract right, with a right to buy it. And because we now control that property, we could turn around and we could sell the rights to this contract to another buyer. So it might be a buy and hold investor. It might be someone who's going to fix it and flip it. Occasionally, it's going to be someone who's going to live in it. In the vast majority, it's in the first two scenarios. So what we do is we just say, hey, if we lock it up for 150 and it's a phenomenal property and it's worth 230, we'll say, hey, do you want to buy this for 180, 185? and you sell it to them direct. And so really that's the art of wholesaling, right? Where you don't have to hold the property for any significant amount of time or use a ton of your capital. Now our business model is in a spot where we take down the biggest deals, where if we know that there's a big spread, we'll just buy it and then we'll clean it out and stick it back on the market. But still 70% of our deals, we don't hold for any length of time.
1: And it sounds like you had, before you had settled on wholesaling... You had tried a whole buffet of different options. And so we talk about all the time and how whether or when to experiment and try different things and how and when to pick a lane. And so talk a little bit more about that. I think you mentioned some of the things, but what made wholesaling the right fit for you at that point in your life?
0: Well, I was doing a lot of lease options when I first got started and I was really, really good at them. And I was teaching them but I was the one man to show. And there are a lot of moving parts with that, right? And we're doing subject two, where you take over owner financing. And so this was part of the chaos for me. So the wholesaling, I had someone outside looking in and I'd wholesaled a couple of properties. And he's like, Well, you know, look how much money you made here. This seems like it's the simplest, the most repeatable. And so that's why I chose that. But one of the things that I would recommend is when you dabble, you don't get information right? There's no information. And so when you go all in really, really, really fast, you're going to learn if you love something or if you're going to hate it, right? And so kind of the reason maybe why I wasn't able to quit my job those 18 months is that I was doing a lot of dabbling. And so I would say, find something that you resonate with and go in it a hundred percent. And if you're wrong, you're going to know in two weeks, right? (laughs) And if you love it, you're going to be like, I was born for this. So my recommendation is to pick, let's get some information. Don't spend too long doing that. Pick a lane, run into it. And if you're wrong, you're going to find out quick. If you dabble, you're going to be floundering for a really long time.
1: We'll get back to our conversation with Todd in just a minute.
3: We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives.
1: Now, back to our chat with Todd Toback.
2: I think there's something to be said, too, for dabbling, though, because you're kind of investigating is the way I like to look at it and to see, is this something that I want to do before I go all in? And mm-hmm. so maybe not dabbling where you're actually doing the thing, but at least doing your pretty good significant amount of research on different directions that you Mm -hmm. could go. I know for me, that's what I did. It was hard for me to know which lane to pick and go all in unless I felt like I had enough information about each thing, whether it was like flipping or wholesaling and Mm -hmm. getting to a point where it was like pretty serious. I didn't actually ever execute on those things, but I spent a good amount of time like researching. And I think that's important too, because it's hard to know, like with absolute certainty, you know, when you go into something, if it's really what you want to do, if you don't know the full like realm of it. So I think there was a lot of value in dabbling though, too, for you probably that where you kind of got to see, like got a little taste of all these different things. Like, is this for me or isn't it for me? So, well,
0: I think what you're describing, I guess I don't describe as dabbling, right? So what you're talking about is research and gathering information. And so it seemed like you actually had some intensity. Yeah right? In gathering information,
2: Yeah. right? Yeah. So
0: that very thing, there was intensity with that. And that kind of gives you feedback. Yep. I guess where I'm dabbling is there's a lot of people even have that intensity of that due diligence period. And they just try a bunch of different things for like a couple of years, right? So I love the fact that, Julie, you're saying that you had some intensity with that research. And I think that you should do that, right? I think that's really, really good. And it sounds like you found your link
2: yep yeah makes a hundred percent sense and I think that's something that people need to do right you've got right. like kind of dig in and know before you move forward but I totally agree with you when you focus on one niche like find something that really resonates with you I know that's true for us as well right when we hit that we knew and we decided that capital raising and apartment syndication was what we wanted to do like boom we saw that we saw that success because we were so focused so agree mm-hmm. with that totally. I'm curious, a lot of people that we coach are capital raisers looking to bring equity to deals and a lot of them are this one man show. So talk to us a little bit about that because I often get the question from a lot of people who are overwhelmed with a lot of the responsibilities of being this one man show how do you get to that first hire? I know for me, it was really tough, because I didn't want to let go. I didn't want to let go of control. And I remember Annie saying, No, like, we've got to do this. And I couldn't let go and it was so hard for me. But the moment that we hired, it was just like a game changer. And we've continued to hire over the last couple of years. And I think we're on our seventh person at this point. But talk to us a little bit about that. How do you make that decision to make that first hire? Because I think for a lot of people, that's even just taking that first step, because once you do it the first time, then it's on, because then you're like, Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I need to do more of this, because you see how great it is. But how do you go from not hiring to hiring? What What is the decision making process that goes into that?
0: Well, I guess this goes back a little bit to the thermostat, right? So at some point there's a decision or an event or a ball that's dropped, right? So a lot of people, we don't want to let go because we feel like someone can't do it as well, or our customers aren't going to take it, or they're going to be frustrated, or maybe just dealing with other people is too slow. And then there's this event, right? Whether it's a fight with your spouse or you disappoint your kid you realize that your entire life is your work or you disappoint someone where you're saying enough is enough, right? So hopefully that's kind of what happened to me is I was just so frustrated and me and my wife, we had this great marriage, but I remember she was like, you got to change something, right? This is not going to work for me like five years down the line. So I don't know what it is, but you've got to change it.
1: Because you were married to your wholesaling.
0: (laughs) Yes, I was married to my wholesaling, right? And I was working for myself. And so, and it's funny because I was teaching lease options all the time. And she's like, hey, you're talking about like all this freedom and like this thing owns you. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I think that is the decision. So my first step is really, if you kind of make that decision, one of my coaches, Dan Sullivan, he says, first, you've got to commit right? You've got to really, really commit to that, right? And then you have to have the courage to be able to really move forward. And then you gain the capability by actually doing it. And then you have the confidence, right? That's the last step. You have to go through those four phases every single time. So you got to really commit to this. And the second thing I would say is if you're really to make that first hire, you've got to get over the fact that this person is going to cost you 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year, right? And say, look, if this works, Right. Best case scenario, I'm going to make all this more money and I'm going to have this free time. And worst case scenario is I'm only out a month or two months' salary. Right. And then I can move on. So kind of look at your downside, cap that. And then three, kind of vision cast say, okay, this first person's here. What would they do? And so if you're living in this place where you have your superpower, so maybe in your business, uh, podcasting, for example, is one of your superpowers. If you're doing a podcast, it probably is, and you're listening to the customers, but maybe an investor intake form and making sure a form gets filled out or filed, that would seem like an energy-sucking activity for me, right? Or sending out links to Dropbox. And so what I would do is I would write down everything that I'm doing that I don't love doing and that I'm not happy doing, and that kind of drains me. And I'm going to write that all down. And then I would say, okay, how can I give ownership of all this so that they're responsible for the end result? Not that I'm giving them tasks, but they know that the end result is so that I could spend my time in my superpower, right? And so when problems come, it could hit them, but not me, right? That's the really, really important is that you've got to get them in front of the line of fire, not yourself in the line of fire, and then bring in them afterwards, right? And so that was a huge learning experience for me. And then, I just did a podcast today, actually, my podcast about this today, is you then want to kind of understand what your company stands for, even if you're a one-man show, who you want to be, where this train is going, and write that all down, your core values. And so now you've got your core values, and you understand kind of who the internal DNA of this person, and then you understand what they want them to do. And once you've got those two documents, right, have fun with it, write a job ad with a lot of personality. and. It's going to attract the right person, right? And depending on what it is, you can hire someone possibly in the Philippines if you had to for 800 bucks a month for a total rock star or Latin America, which is a huge, kind of a huge hidden niche, which a lot of people don't know about for 12 or 1500 bucks with a lot of American culture there or hire locally, right? And I've done all three and I've had a lot of success with all three places. So I'd start there commit to it, get rid of the fear, understand what you want, start advertising and marketing like you would do any other marketing and the right person is going to appear. I don't know if I just gave too much information.
2: Yeah, no, that's perfect. Where are you now? Do you still have Brian or is Brian out of the picture? (laughs) (laughs)
0: No. So it's funny. So over the years, Brian worked with me, and now we're kind of in a joint venture partnership situation. But I've hired dozens of my own acquisition specialists in different markets since then. And so that was great. That relationship changed with Brian. But now we work with several acquisition specialists. Someone who handles all, I mean, I used to handle all the marketing. Now someone handles all the marketing. Someone handles all the disposition. Someone handles all the TC work. We've got a full time agent who sells everything. And we built that out slowly over time and built a strong foundation and there were ups and there were downs. But one of the things I always do is maintain relationships. So sometimes someone might move on or the relationship might migrate, but I always try to keep it to a spot where we always keep those bridges strong.
1: I was just going to comment that it's such a wise exercise, that energy-rich, energy-neutral, energy-poor exercise, even if you don't own a business, right? Even in your personal life, to just have that awareness of what are the things that you really love to do and that you could do all day long and you end up with more energy at the end of the day than you started with. And I think it's a fantastic exercise for everybody to do, whether or not they have a business, just to have that awareness. Because even in your personal life, you can hire a VA or you can delegate some tasks. And so it's a win-win because if you can find somebody whose energy-rich areas are your energy-poor areas, everybody wins.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) I definitely know my kryptonite.
2: So how do you go, I think, so you found Brian and then how do you go from, so then you had to replicate what you taught him to these different folks that you now hired, right? Whether it's the marketing person or the acquisitions person, how did you start to build out that team? Like there was the two of you and then how did you go from three, four, five and on?
0: One at a time. One at a time where we just said, okay, this is the very next person. It's funny though. One of the last things I hired, and I think a lot of visionaries do this, is we tend to the strength of the visionary usually becomes the weakness of the company, right? Because they don't want to let that go. (laughs) And so for me, marketing was one of the last things. That I let go in the company. Uh, are you guys laughing? Because you guys have yeah, I'm this.
2: giggling because that is me right there. I'm like, if the one thing it's like the sales piece, like the marketing, the words, the whole how we're gonna attract the clients, like that whole thing, I just can't let go of. I yeah. feel like that's the thing that makes the company. So anyway, yeah.
0: Well, I, it's funny because I hired someone to run my company. His name is Lee, and he was just like. We need someone to do in marketing. I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't know that. I, I, I'm the marketer. And he's like, <laughs> if you were working for us, I would fire you.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. So you found Lee and Lee is your, your like CEO or
0: how, what's Well, Lee was my CEO, right? We worked together for a number of years. And again, sometimes we get to work with people for a great time and learn and we don't work together anymore. So now we've got someone named Claudia who runs our company, who is completely runs the entire show. And it's wow. funny because I was texting with Lee and we learned a lot while we worked together, but while we decided to move on from each other. But some of those are, you always want to be looking and, and investing in your people like you're going to work together forever, but right. you've got to plan and also always be looking for people to add to your bench because you never know how big you're going to go and how far you can grow. And you don't want to look for someone when you need someone
2: hmm Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's interesting. And how did you let go of that comfort to say, okay, I'm going to hand over my company to somebody and say, you are now in charge. Like that seems so scary. I don't know. Like, how did you get there? What did you do to get comfortable with that?
0: Well, the biggest thing is when you're really young and stupid, you say, here you go. I'm going on vacation, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, Which I did two or three times, and that didn't really work out too well. (laughs) But then you really create a vision. So, one of the things, like, I had all these fears, and then once I got past them, like, it totally changed it. So, like, the profit and loss, like, I didn't want to share that with my operations manager because I was like, oh my God, he's going to see the profit and loss, and he's going to be like judging me for how much we're making. Right. And he's running here fifty hours a week. Right. right so I right. was like scared of that. And then I was yeah. like, well, I don't want to teach everyone everything because then they're going to steal my company. I'm like, oh my, you right. know, you're like the stupidest things ever, right? <laughs> meanwhile, if they're running the company, they think you're keeping 100 percent of it anyway, right? Uh-huh. So get rid of that. Show them the P and L. Actually, they'll be pleasantly surprised that running a business is awesome. And I'd never change a thing, but it's not as profitable as they think. And actually, kind of puts them in a better mindset to do a better job.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So really setting that expectation and giving what I got really excited, a change that I had was instead of being a genius with a thousand helpers, right? Santa and the elves, I said, hey, I really want to create leaders inside the organization. So there's another book I'll recommend called 12 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. The number might be wrong, but phenomenal book by John Maxwell. And that's one of the laws, right? The law of exponential growth is when you start creating leaders. So that was my first set. I was like, I want to start creating leaders and people who are going to grow other people. And so then I found someone who I thought could run the company. And I said, this is my vision. Here's the profit and loss. Here's really where the company is going. And so once we set a five-year vision for the company, then we broke that into a one-year plan. And then we brought that into quarterly goals with quarterly rocks. And then you kind of hand this to somebody and you see that plan. And then you've got weekly meetings with accountability to kind of see what they're doing it's, you've got a lot more visibility into what you're doing, right? If you don't give them the plan and you don't keep your eye on the ball, right? Well, then you don't have the confidence. But if you see the wheels turning, right? While you're kind of watching from the outside and letting your people run, Mm -hmm. that's when the magic happens. So if I had to say anything, number one, create the vision. Number two, have the mindset of creating a true leadership team. This is all stuff I got from the book, Scaling Up. And also the book traction is heavy in entrepreneur circles right now. But, and then when we had the weekly meetings that we do every Monday from 1030 to 12, kind of reviewing where we're at in relation to that, I mean, it just gave me so much more confidence. And then the person who runs the company, Claudia, it gave her so much more confidence running that company and then owning the Mm -hmm, mm P&L.
2: So it's really about like setting the intention, setting the goals, laying it, making it really clear for them on the onset and then sort of still you're very much involved it sounds like. I mean, not very much. I mean, but you're still attending these once a week meetings so that you have your eye on. And then at some point I imagine you kind of just relinquish the reins or are you still attending weekly meetings and still very much involved or what does that look like now?
0: Well, that's interesting, right? Because for me, I'm probably in the business about 15 hours a week, right? Okay. And that means that so I'm on that meeting an hour and a half on Mondays. And then I've got various meetings with my operations manager, but that's in that one business. And then I have a second business, which is the publishing side, right? Where the education, the training on teaching investors to do that. And then I've got you know my own investment. So I'm the mobile home parks. And so between all that, I'm probably doing 15 hours of work. And then the rest is kind of thinking time where I'm kind of thinking about our next move and kind of thinking to myself. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think about business, probably way more than 15 hours a week. But if you know Mm -hmm. me actually doing work and being in meetings and dealing with my staff, it's probably about 15 hours.
2: Fascinating. Such an interesting conversation. Was the skill book, is that the one by Alison Maslin?
0: No, Scaling Up is a newer version of the Rockefeller Habits. And that's by Vern Harnish.
2: Okay, got it. Got it. Fascinating. This is such good stuff. I'm definitely going to lead our coaching clients to this podcast because a lot of them are stuck in this one man show, right? Where Mm -hmm. they think they have to do it all. And we talk a lot about all these different things and trying to get them from owning it all to relinquishing and even just hiring a VA is hard for a lot of Mm -hmm. people. And so there's so many good points that we just talked about that I think will help people at the end of the day. It's like you said, it's a mindset thing, right? If they can change Mm -hmm. their mindset around how they're approaching the idea of hiring and growing and scaling, it can be a game changer for them. So good. Love all of this. All right. Well, we're going to transition into the last part of our show, the life and money show spotlight. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design?
0: Uh, I spend a lot of time with my kids. I absolutely love to do that. And I love to lead them in a lot of different ways. But one of the things I really enjoy is pushing them out of their comfort zone. And so one of the fun things that we did yesterday is I have 11 year old son and I go to the high school practice to pick up my daughter. And so I said, Hey, listen, if I'm like, if you walk into the high school practice and you challenge, ask the coach, if you can challenge one of the high school kids, 200 freestyle, which is eight laps, I said, I'll give you 20 bucks. (laughs) so we did that yesterday and he did that and that was really really cool and so i'm always constantly doing stuff with my kids to challenge them and get them out of their comfort zone and be better human beings and make more of an impact so that's one of the fun things i'm working on now
2: I love that. Did you start that when they were really young or when they got a little bit older, pushing them out of
0: their comfort zone? Really young. I mean, my two older daughters, you know, I don't know if this is like nature versus nurture. Of course, my sons are more into it, but maybe I learned the incentives. So if I just did all the challenges without all the incentives, maybe mm-hmm. they're not as effective. But when I add really cool incentives, they really jump on these challenges.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Incentives always work. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I feel like I'm always trying to get my kids out of their comfort zone, but the Whining usually stops me. They like they start whining and jump, fall over the floor, and I'm like, okay, yeah. you win. I, okay, we're done.
0: Well, I'll give everyone a hack. Here is we don't give our kids very much screen time at all, right? So they're yeah. they're allowed twenty minutes a day, and they get then, and we keep it low so that we give them like bonuses for that, and so they can get it up to basically a normal yeah. amount with these kind of like little challenges or you can call them bribes. So that's one of our hacks.
2: <laughs> interesting, interesting. I should try that. Yeah, we do hardly anything. We do two movie nights, one hour on Wednesdays and one hour on like Friday or Saturday. And that's about it. And that we don't use computers and stuff like that. But that's great. maybe I'll try that. I'm going to try that. <laughs> All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact on others' lives right now?
0: Sure, live on fifty percent of your income. That's given us so much freedom. and if you pretend like it doesn't exist, it never even hits our bank account, ironically, if you want to just enjoy like more, right? Well, that's great. And just make more, right and just know you've got to make that much more and invest it, and you're gonna become financially free a really, really, really quick living that way. So that is my recommendation. I mean, you're gonna run circles around everybody.
2: Yeah. I remember Grant Cardone said something. I don't know if you're a Grant fan. Some people either love him or hate him, but he said, you don't have a spending problem. You have an income problem. (laughs) And when I first heard that, I was like, that's so true. Cause if you want to make more money or you want to spend more and feel comfortable with that, then just go out and make more money and uh, that should solve the problem. (laughs) All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. What is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place?
0: I'll go back to my first one. I think that we have to have a really long-term view if we want to make change in the world. And so if you're in your 30s or 40s, it's kind of too late, right? And what I mean by that is we have to take the long-term view. So we can make a lot of change. But the change is not going to be in our lifetimes. It's going to be in our next. So I think we need to pour into this young generation and we've got to speak truth and life and build character. And I think that we really need that for our young generation. So I got really excited about that when I was like, hey, this is not about me anymore. That just really lit me up. So that's what we're doing.
1: What a great head start in life you're giving to your kids by pushing them out of their comfort zones and really teaching them. The qualities that make a great leader, whether they decide to pursue business or real estate or become physicians or attorneys or teachers or whatever it is, but those qualities that you're teaching them now and challenging them with will serve them whatever they do. And you're right. It's little by little in that long game that will really make an impact in the world. And so Todd, I know we've covered a lot in this conversation, but there's so much more to you and all that you do. So tell our listeners, what's the best place that they can go to learn more about all that you're doing?
0: Sure. So you could check out our website, no limits, real estate And then we have the no limits, real estate investing podcast. So we'd love to have you as a subscriber and a listener, and you can find us there.
1: Todd Toback, real estate investor, coach, podcast host and creator of the No Limits sales system and the Next Level Wholesaling program. Todd, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners and sharing your experience and your insights with us.
0: Thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast for people who,
2: like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and
1: making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life & Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.